last night we looked at the heart of the one another's, these uh, New Testament responsibilities that we have to love, how they show us how to love others like Jesus, uh, how these one another's are the lifeblood of the body of Christ that is the church, and how these one another's are an outflow of the fruit of the Spirit that is our character. This morning, I want to turn our attention to what I want to call the actions of the one another's. What the one another's do. Uh, I want to turn the corner, so to speak. I want to start to apply the truth that we see that there's urgency to how we treat one another, how we behave in the church, what we do to love one another in the church, and the urgency is both for our own souls and and seeing faith worked out, but the urgency, even as we considered this morning with those two teams, is evangelistic from John 13, 35. But this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I want to begin to turn the corner and look at what the one another's do. What are the actions of the one another's? You see, as we consider these one another's, these responsibilities to love, it's uh, this consideration of them and even conviction over them isn't enough. It's not enough to be here and to listen and nod your head and take good notes on the free uh, notepads with the cool little Hilton pen that you'll lose by the end of the weekend. And then just maybe be a little bit nicer by the end of all of this obedience to Christ in this area of the one another's will require for many of us a complete overhaul of how we think and how we pray and how we see the other people in our apartment or in our class or on our team. We're going to need to do a little bit of heart work even this morning to apply these one another's. And we'll finish our time, just to give it away, with some time praying, both individually and in groups, to just respond to what God might be doing in our hearts as it relates to the one another's. But obedience and even maybe repentance for some of us in this area will require a lot of prayer and a lot of Grace, You see, it's putting off the old self, in a sense. It's that old self-serving self and putting on the new self, as the New Testament calls it. The now others-focused, now self-abasing new self. We need to think about this area of the one another's like we think about other areas of sin and repentance and obedience. There needs to be a turning point, a decision to 180 and walk the other way uh, to follow Christ in this area. It's going to be a lengthy process of growth and cultivating love for others, for some of us. It can't just be rote obedience or rote adherence to a list of things. It's got to be change of the heart. And that's what I want to look at this morning as we look at 
the actions of the one another's, or what the one another's do. When you decide uh, to, say, go on a trip with your class, you decide, well, as a class, we want to hike the narrows, just say, for example, you know, random example. Or maybe Angel's Landing, just another random example. Let's just say you decide we want to do that. That's what, as a group, as a class, we've all decided, we agree, we want to do that. And so you set out to do that. That's the task. That's the goal. Now, you know, and I know, there's a whole lot of stuff that's got to happen to make that one thing happen. You see, if your goal is to hike the Narrows or to ascend Angel's Landing, you've got to do a bunch of other things to make that happen. You've got to go to Costco. You've got to drive six hours and 26 minutes. Uh, just one way. You've got to get the right Airbnb or VRBO. You've got to reserve a spot, maybe. You've got to pay a fee. You've got to make sandwiches. Then you've got to go back and get mayo because the Costco person forgot the mayo. You've got to do all kinds of things on a background sort of level to finally get to hike the Narrows. I mean, you think the beauty of it is what makes it worth it, and of course, spending time together is great too. But just ask the person who organized your trip. What made it worth it? All the details, all the things working out is what made it worth it for them. And of course, spending time together. You see, when you do something big, when you do something and you decide and you set out to do it, there's all of these other things that have to happen in order for that one big thing to actually happen. In a sense, this is the way that the one another's are. We are, as we know, uh, to love one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear with one another, teach, comfort, encourage, pray for, confess to one another. But behind all of these actions, uh, undergirding all these actions, there are basic things that we must do. Uh, things that are far more fundamental, far more ground level. These are things that are running in the background, so to speak. Being, these things are built into the code, to speak, uh, candidly in a way that you would maybe understand. Uh, this morning I'm going to look at four actions of the one another's, actions that we must commit ourselves to, things that we must do to establish a foundation for the one another's. You see, to put all 59 of these things up on your wall or on your lock screen or even inside the inside cover of your Bible would be admirable. But because of the sheer breadth of these commands and the complications that come from how many there are, I want to focus our attention on just four actions. Actions that only one of them is an actual one another. But these are all actions, all four of them, that will help us hide these in our hearts, as Psalm 119 says. 
that these are actions that will help us to begin to instill a, a, a heart and a mentality that would desire to love others as Christ has loved us. I want to show you on a ground level how the one another's act. What is it that they do as a composite, as a whole, as a body of work? How do they act? But what goes on behind the scenes when the church is one another ring like it should? When the clock on the church tower is telling the right time, what are the gears that are working behind that clock? I want to show you this morning four actions, four things the one another's do, four things that really without these four things, the one another's are impossible. These four actions set a foundation for a life committed to the one another's. These four things set a foundation for a life committed to the one another's. First, let's look at the fact that the one another's give. The one another's give. The one another's as others-centered, body of Christ-serving responsibilities, they are a giving endeavor. The one another's give. You see, no matter the one another, when you commit to doing one, you are giving. You give of yourself, your time, your attention, maybe your money or your resources. Uh, maybe it's honor or maybe it's credit that you're due for serving in some way. Uh, maybe it's your preferences that you're giving up. Uh, maybe it's your self-satisfaction that you're giving up. You give of yourself in some way when you engage in the one another's. When you live out the one another's, you make a conscious decision to let go of something, to give up possession of something, to give up rights to something, whether tangible or not. Whatever it takes to appropriately serve somebody else, you are giving something or giving something up. You see, GOC, in a world of net worth and self-worth and building up your own portfolio and first world problems and uh, rich people things and early retirement, we live in that sort of expectation economy. This is a radical concept. That you, because you are a follower of Jesus, would give of yourself to benefit other people, and not just as a tax-deductible good deed for the day, but as a lifestyle of giving and giving and giving and then giving some more of yourself that the church of Christ might be built up and that others be benefited, uh, encouraged, and helped. That is a radical concept. The basis for this kind of giving, this sort of sacrifice, goes straight back, as we might think, to our Savior's own giving, even unto death. Turn to Philippians 2. 
Philippians 2. And we see Christ gave himself up here in this passage. And I love this passage because it so clearly intertwines this idea of the one another's with the giving of Christ in death. Look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Paul's very directly instructing these believers, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is saying here, have this mindset, have this priority of service toward one another, have this humility before one another, such that you, end of verse 3, count or consider others more significant, higher, more important than you have this humble mindset not just in your own heart but in context to other people have this humble mind fixed on unity toward serving and loving others which paul says in verse 5 is yours in christ jesus is yours in christ jesus just a little hermeneutics thing when you see the words in Christ or in Christ Jesus in the New Testament, you ought to stop and think for just a minute. In Christ Jesus speaks of what we call our union with Christ, how we are one with him, united with him in his death and resurrection, being raised to life. See, being dead in our sins and then being raised to life in him. It almost rolls off the tongue as Christians. Well, this is what Paul is saying here, that this mindset, this sort of humility, is yours in Christ Jesus. You have the ability to have this kind of mind only through Christ. I think of 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says there, you have the mind of Christ, or Galatians 5, we considered last night. You now have the Spirit working in your life. I think of Ephesians 5 or Romans 8. The Spirit of God is working in your life because you are in Christ Jesus. And you have also, though, Paul is saying here, in the one who enables you to do this, you have the ultimate example in verses 6 to 8 of giving you see jesus in his humility was the ultimate example of giving how because he gave and he gave and he gave until the point of death even death 
on a cross. The one another's give like Christ. And the one another's give because of Christ. The one another's give enabled by the Spirit. We live like He lived. And we die to ourselves like He died. When you, Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. You give of your rights to hold something over somebody. When you, 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, you give of yourself emotionally and effort-wise. When you, 2 Corinthians 13.11, agree with one another and live in peace, or Romans 15.5, live in such harmony with one another. You are giving up your entitlement to your own opinions and preferences for the sake of peace in the church. Uh, When you, Galatians 5.13, through love serve one another, you give up your time and your own opportunities and maybe priorities for the sake of those around you. Grace on campus, we must cultivate a heart ready to give, a generosity that reflects the generosity of a great God who gave us the ultimate gift in his son Jesus. We ought to cultivate a heart ready to give at a moment's notice. Give uh, to an, in anticipation of another's need. Give without expecting anything in return. We ought to give to one another's give. Secondly, as we consider the actions that are crucial to the one another's, the actions that set a foundation for the one another's. Let's consider, secondly, that the one another's listen. The one another's listen. You see, as we seek to obey the Lord in the one another's, we need to grow in our willingness and in our ability to listen. In order to have this heart that is willingly and able to give, as we just discussed, to know what to give and to know how much to give and know when to give, we've got to open our ears just a little bit. We've got to be willing to listen. How can we care for others? How can we bear one another's burdens or comfort one another or pray for one another unless we are keenly aware of each other's actual struggles and sorrows and burdens and needs. We must listen. We must seek to understand one another so as to appropriately and selflessly carry out this responsibility of love for one another. As you know, Scripture has much to say about listening first. Consider the Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Or later in that chapter, Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Of course, we think of James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
The scripture is clear and simple about the importance of listening. The priority of the ear, whether it be wisdom or teaching or preaching. The Bible tells us over and over, incline your ear, pay attention to what you hear. Make your ear attentive. Incline your heart to understanding, the scriptures say. Now the kind of listening we're talking about, admittedly, when we talk about the one another's, isn't quite the same as listening to preaching, which y'all are doing awesome at right now. Or it's not the same as listening to the word of God. But it's the same posture. You see, when you listen to the word of God, you are exercising some level of humility. You are saying, God, I know you, and I love you, and when I go to church on a Sunday morning, when the man of God opens the word of God, uh, I will be humble and receive what you would have. I hope that's your prayer when you go to church. I hope that's your prayer when the word of God is open. When we listen to someone else, in the one another's as, we, as they share their heart about something. We exercise humility before a fellow image bearer that what they have to say wasn't asking too much when you ask that question, how are you doing? But when they actually do open up a little bit, we ought to have the humility and the patience to actually listen. Listening is not knowing fully. Seeking to understand this person's heart and their needs. The point is, then, in the one another's, seeking to fulfill those needs. I want us to hone in just a little bit further than this idea of listening and really begin to understand this morning how meaningful it really is as a basis for the one another. Because I think that's something that we we need to grow in as a ministry, is to learn how to listen to each other. It's a seemingly random passage, but I want you to turn to Exodus 2. When Riley preached this the other night, a few weeks ago, it reminded me of this passage at the end of Exodus 2. And um, I was just thinking about it as preparing for this sermon. Exodus 2, and I think it's a beautiful picture of what we're talking about this morning. Exodus 2, look at verse 23. And again, admittedly random, but hang with me here and see this. Exodus 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Yahweh hears the groaning of his people and later in Exodus promises to deliver them. It's the same word for salvation that we know. Uh, he promised rest and reprieve from their suffering in Egypt and Notice the transfer of action here from Israel, God's people, to Yahweh himself. They groan, and he listens, and then he 
saw and he knew. It's Yahweh listening to the cries of his people. We find a similar idea all over the Psalms. So you just listen to these Psalms. Psalm 5. Uh, the psalmist says, Give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray, O Lord. In the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me... Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. The psalmists, as well as God's people throughout all time, cry out and we groan sometimes we we have to in a fallen world that's a thing to cry out to groan as creatures under the 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 heavy press of a creation that is broken we cry out to a creator but as believers we cry out in expectant that God hears his people. In whatever situation, God will incline his ear and ever faithfully act in loving kindness. Have you ever talked to somebody who you knew wasn't listening? Maybe I should ask it this way. When was the last time you were talking to somebody who wasn't listening? We've got pocket computers that help us not pay attention. It's the worst when you're talking to somebody. It's fine, like, if they're texting their mom or something, but they're just, like, going on TikTok, and you're like, really, bro? Come on. And it's always a bro. Don't worry. When's the last time you talked to somebody and they weren't paying attention? Maybe it's as bad as that. Maybe they're just looking across the room at some thing. Or they're just kind of not there, just there, but somewhere, somewhere else. We feel a little bit of angst or in our sin, some impatience or some level of expectation or some desire to sort of wrap your arm around them or tug their ear maybe if you're like me and I do that to my sons. You want this person to listen to you. The Psalms help us to see God is never like that. God is always listening to his people. God is all ears. God is ever present. In fact, look at the response of the psalmist when we get to see the perspective of after God listens, turn to Psalm 66 and see that real quick. Psalm 66. At the end of that psalm in verse 16, the psalmist sees that God is listening. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done 
for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Just listen to Psalm 116. The psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. When God listens to us, we should and we do respond like the psalmist does. We respond in praise, in love. And all of that was sort of almost for free, but let me connect it for you a little bit with the one another's. You see, it's one thing to rejoice in the fact that God hears our prayers. That, that's cause for praise this morning. It's cause to pause and think about uh, our crying out to God, if we're afraid or, or hesitant to do so, we shouldn't be, because God hears us. But let me connect it to the one another's here for you. See, to be heard is to be cared for. To be lent in ear is to be understood, to be identified with. And for us, with God, to be heard is to know his steadfast love and sovereign love, to experience his kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And that is exactly why, as we consider the one another's this weekend, we must listen. We must learn how to listen. To even reflect a tiny bit of God's listening presence to us as we love others, that would set a solid foundation for the one another's in our lives. You see, to listen is to begin the process of being able to care and have concern for somebody and to love somebody. To listen is to gather and to observe. To listen is to be able to love one another in more appropriate ways. To listen is to be able then to forgive that person and not offend in the process. To listen is to be able to pray for one another with specificity. Listening is, if the one another's are giving, listening is receiving. But receiving information and not always knowing or assuming. Listening is not jumping to conclusions. Listening is being okay with someone's perception of something, flawed as it is, and hearing their experience for just a moment before you jump on it. Listening is not jumping to judgment, and listening is not rushing to correction. Listening is reflecting God's patient care for us. Listening is storing up consideration and context for how we love and serve and care for one another. GOC, when we listen, we begin to manifest the same care for one another as God has for us. The same listening and comforting presence. And it is when we listen 
that then we have an opportunity to practice the one another's that much more helpfully. And so the one another's give and the one another's listen. Thirdly, as we consider these actions that really set a foundation for the one another's, thirdly, the one another's speak. The one another's speak. We've just seen it's important that the one another's listen and I think it's good and it's intentional that we get that order right in the James 119 canonical order of listening first and then being slow to speak. But as we consider the one another's, we've got to understand the importance of speaking. And the importance of speaking just beyond, though, a sort of axiomatic level. You see, if we take a look at the Proverbs, or we rehashed what we learned in James last year, we would rightfully understand that the use of our tongues is mainly, at least for us young people, an area of life that we must tame. It's, a, it's an area of self-control. And amen and amen, you would be right to think that immediately. It's at the forefront of our minds. We are to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Again, the Proverbs have much to say. Let me just give you two. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Uh, Proverbs 21.23 Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. I want to do that. And I think as we understand our tongues, though, we begin to sort of compress and flatten our understanding of the tongue such that it's not useful anymore. We have sort of a cleanliness of our tongue is next to godliness vibe that just understands it just simply, only that way. So when we sort of feel our tongues getting ourselves into trouble, we just stop, just, just shut it down. All done. In the Bible... Our speech, our words, is much, much more than just that. You see, we ought to understand the Proverbs rightly. They are principles for life, not rules to be followed at all times. They are principles to live by when rightly applied. The tongue is much more than just something to control. You see, we are, but we aren't just supposed to keep quiet. We are at certain times supposed to keep quiet. But other times, like in the one another's, we aren't supposed to just keep quiet. The one another's show us this. They reflect this significance found in our speech. They show us the value of words used well. As we thought about what it means to give, that the one another's give, your words are perhaps the most valuable currency available to you. Yes, as poor college students. But if we consider God's economy in the New Testament, that even against any sort of physical wealth, any sort of money, or any sort of currency, when it comes to life in the body of Christ, 
words are just that valuable. And so the one another's necessitate a proper, a balanced view of uh, our speech. In fact, many of the one another's require that we speak. Yes, listen, but yes, speak. The one another's call us to use our words in ways that build up and challenge and encourage and minister to people. In those words, we see a need for a sort of appropriateness captured in Ephesians 4. Turn there really quick. Ephesians 4. This is a highlight, underline, memorized sort of verse. Ephesians 4.29. It's an important verse, although not a one another verse. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you see, through our speech, the one another's deepen our relationships. Uh, the one another's stir up more spiritual fodder in our conversations for more one anothering. The one another's give us uh, the chance to speak and give uh, challenge and to sharpen and to help others grow. As we walk alongside each other in this life and engage in meaningful conversations on a Friday night, we process together the seasons and the struggles that God brings us through. And there is this Ephesians 4.29 kind of building up, this kind of giving of grace in our speech. Let's look at an example of that. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verse 13. Paul writes there, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Notice verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Look also at chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are alive or asleep, excuse me, we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. Here at the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is encouraging the church to think rightly about those in their midst who have recently passed away. And this is a 
sermon or maybe a workshop for another time, but it seems like these believers were struggling with the idea of what happened to these believers who had passed away yet before Christ had come and were still in that same era. And Paul is saying, don't fret, don't worry. Not only will they be raised with Christ in newness of life and be with him forever. In fact, Paul says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Find encouragement in that. But then think about what he says in verse 18 of chapter 4. Therefore, when you see a therefore, think about what it's there for. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I can just imagine. Paul is saying, you know, hey, young man, encourage uh, your father who just lost his wife. You just lost your mother. Encourage your father with these words. She was in Christ and she will rise first. Encourage one another with these words, Paul is saying. And how do you do that? I think that's plain and simple. You use your words. You use your words. In the middle of chapter 5, Paul then goes on and describes uh, the time and the era that these believers live in. There's this darkness and light sort of principle that we see throughout Paul's writings that 1 Thessalonians 5 just so helpfully describes as the coming day of the Lord, uh, the coming judgment on darkness. And again, as we saw at the end of that section, he encourages these believers to live like the end is near. And then again, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. How do you do that? With words. With words. The one another's speak. They speak truth. This passage is almost like exhibit A of a pair of one another's that require our words. We need to, with our words, encourage and uplift one another. We need to help each other center and anchor our hearts with our words on truth. Just listen to Hebrews 3.13. I think it's another key passage, another underline, highlight, memorize. It's another one another verse that captures the heart of what it means to use our words in the one another's. The author of Hebrews writes, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every day exhort use your words to to caution one another about the deceitfulness of sin that you may not be ensnared in a sense by the devil as paul fills out i think all of us from time to time under the conviction of the spirit think about our words we think about our speech we think about when it kind of goes off the rails But more often than not, these instances are about how we forgot to control our tongue. Or of how we didn't really tell the whole truth about something. Or how we slipped up a little bit and said something inappropriate that we kind of regret. We think about our words. 
Well, what if in pursuit of the one another's, out of a desire to earnestly love one another from the heart, we began as a ministry to think about and pray about our words, not only as daggers needing to be restrained and restricted, but our words as little messengers of grace toward other people. What if we began to speak fewer words about ourselves and our opinions and our hot takes, and we spoke more humbly and warmly with one another and asked more thoughtful questions of others to draw out what was on their hearts? What if we encouraged more? What if we followed up on our last conversations better and challenged each other more? What if we warned each other about the deceitfulness of sin more faithfully? What if we affirmed others more generously? I believe in one sense. We wouldn't have to worry so much about having to control our tongues because our words per minute would be so filled with thoughtful speech and uplifting candor that we wouldn't have our voice left for slander and gossip and lies. But I think more importantly, I believe simply from the perspective of our words, we would have a love in our ministry facilitated by words that would better reflect the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe even just by how we spoke to one another, we would transform our testimony to those who know us, those lab mates and floor mates would hear in our words a testimony of Jesus in our speech. And they would hear that testimony in and around the times we actually got to share the gospel with them. What a beautiful thing that would be. So Grace on Campus, this morning, let's develop in our hearts more options, new channels of communication in our speech, new abilities, a new willingness maybe to use our words in ways that benefit others around us. Let's expand our vocabulary and our tone, so to speak. Let us, via the one another's, speak. Finally, as we consider what the one another's do, I want to look at one last one. We need to see that as we seek to fulfill the one another's, the one another's pray. The one another's pray. The importance of prayer to the one another's is twofold. Prayer, in respect to the one another's, is both preparatory and powerful. It's both preparatory and powerful. What I mean by that is as we pursue the one another's, we must realize the importance of our prayer in our preparation of our hearts to do the one another's. You see, on a deep, sort of reflective beginning of the quarter level, or on a daily level, and everywhere in between, we must bow the knee before the Father and ask His help humbly. We must do heart work in submitting our will to God's. If we are going to give, if we are going to listen, if we are going to speak, if we are going to forgive and care and love and bear with and comfort and confess like we should, 
we must ask Almighty God, the God of all grace, to lend us aid. It's the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Look at Matthew 6. Matthew 6. And there's so much in the Lord's Prayer. Really, what is the disciples' prayer? Matthew 6. But we'll just sort of skim off the top. You know this. Pray then like this. 6-9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The heart of the Lord's prayer is a heart of humility. That is not a prayer that you should be able to pray standing up. Whether in your heart or actually you ought to pray this prayer on your knees. Uh, You're not commanding God around uh, when you say, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. Give us, forgive us, and lead us. No, we are asking God humbly as the God of the universe for His kingdom to come. That's our desire. For His will to be done in our lives and on earth as it is in heaven. We are asking Him, Oh God, You are provider. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh God, You are the God of all and You are holy God. Forgive us our debts, oh God. And God, You are sovereign over all things. Lead us not in temptation. into temptation, we ask. The heart of the Lord's prayer is a heart of humility. Prayer is a humble act. It's an overt act of submission. And our pursuit of the one another's has got to be in that same vein. We've got to have humble submission to God's will and a willingness then to participate in God's work in the lives of other people around us, all the while anchored to God's will in prayer, moment by moment. The one another's are these 59 instructions, these 59 manifestations of God's heart for how His people ought to love one another. It's His heart. And so how could we pursue these things but with the help of God aligning our wills and our hearts to His? We must pray because we need His help. But we must also pray because it is in this active submission that we also turn our hearts to acknowledging God's power, God's working power. You see, prayer in regards to the one another is preparatory for our hearts. It helps humble us, but it helps us also to acknowledge the power of God to work in us and through us as we one another. When we pray, we recognize and we request great things of a great God. Everything we do in the one another's must constantly be undergirded by our prayers. 
Because anything we hope to accomplish in our stirring one another up to love and good deeds, in our bearing one another's burdens, in our hospitality to one another, in our exhortation and in our serving, all of these things can and will only flourish by the power of God. And so we ought to commit the work of our hands to Him. Growth and challenging and encouragement will occur by our one anothering. Why? Because God is at work. And so we need to faithfully ask Him to work turn in our last passage to Colossians 1 and we'll land the plane here. Colossians 1. I just love Paul's prayers throughout his epistles. Uh, Colossians 1 is one in particular that is brief yet powerful because it shows both his humility before God but also his confidence in God. Colossians 1, verse 9, he writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, for us to have this kind of humility before God. I can imagine Paul uh, writing this and he can't contain himself. He can't even stay in his chair. Uh, He is praising God for his great work in the lives of the Colossian believers and he attributes all glory to God. And he points out the salvation that we have that he has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his light. Oh, for this kind of confidence in God at the same time. It's a humility and yet a confidence. A humility that there's nothing, even as much as Paul did for this church, there's nothing in and of himself. This confidence then in all of God to work. Oh, for this kind of love for other believers, that we would bring them before the throne of grace. That we would have this kind of Pauline specificity and burden for God's work in other people. What an example Paul sets for us here in Colossians 1. The one another's give and they listen and they speak. And I would almost say most importantly, they pray. So what I want to do this morning is uh, I want to spend some time praying. We're going to do this two ways. What we're going to do is we'll spend a few minutes praying just on our own. Just where you are, you can pray. And pray in this way. Pray that 
God would prepare your heart, that he would, his spirit would till the soil in your heart this weekend even to begin to do the one another's. To begin even maybe with these, to, to give and to listen and to speak and to pray more. Uh, pray that way. But then I want you to think of two people, maybe two people that, one who's here and one who's not here this weekend in our ministry, that you can pray specifically for them, that God would work in their hearts, both maybe in a request that you know of theirs for prayer, or maybe that there's some one anothering that you could pray for them about, that God would work in their hearts to one another a little bit better. Let's pray just for a few minutes on your own, and then what I'll do is I'll pray for our ministry in that regard, and then we'll sing a song and respond in worship, and then we're going to end this session by praying in groups, and Riley will lead us through that time, okay? So spend a few minutes and just ask God's help, and then pray for two other people, all right? Go for it.